Welcome to the Catholic Reading Challenge. I'm Mike. And I'm Jess. And the only thing we like better than reading is talking about what we are reading with friends. In 2019, we are reading through a new category each month. So listen in and read along. And remember, as Mortimer J. Adler said, in the case of good books, the point is not to see how many of them you can get through, but rather how many can get through. Welcome back, everybody. We are here in the month of September. September is a great song by Earth, Wind, and Fire. The reason I'm laughing <laughs> is because we just did a second take because I said that, and she's like, "I don't know that song," and I'm like, "And I was so he had to by prove." The, well, first that of all, I like yeah. hit stop and deleted it, and then I um, played it. He had to prove to me that I did know it. Everyone my- knows that song, even if they don't know it's September. I can understand because well, they, I don't the, ever know the the names chorus of songs. is like you can't. But I also those are, that's exactly the kind of song that I would never turn on because I want to hear it. I would hear it like on. That's like, really sad that you said that. Like you would never turn on Earth, Wind, and Fire September. That's the type of song that I would turn on all the time because I want to hear it. This is why we're married. You fill in those gaps. Um, yeah, you would probably you would play musical like, You would play Catholic Sarah McLaughlin. Oh, please! Don't I say will that. remember. That's, we're not even going to say who you're talking about. I'm not a fan. No. Why can't I say? Because I People don't like be Sarah. I don't like Sarah McLaughlin. I would not. Okay. You know, they're kind of like melancholy, like, I don't know, music that you sometimes listen to. I like I like certain melancholy music, but not, not Why like Why can I that. have diverse music taste? She would never listen to Earth, Wind, and Fire. You all heard that here. I just want to make that. No, I just, here. it's the kind of song that I would, you know, totally listen to, but it would come on, like, in a mm. restaurant or... I just wouldn't play it. But that's a lot of music. I mean, I just don't think to... Maybe, you know, I don't know if I have that much time no, you that I actually have some listen playlists. to music. You definitely have some playlists. I feel like I'm more apt to sit down and read a book, but sometimes I, it's been a long time and I'll be like, you know, I, I should listen to some music. You I go through the same... I've been going through like a listening to music phase the last couple of days. I've had these distinct songs in my head Yeah. that I'm like, I have to listen to this song. And they're totally random. So... Yeah. Anyways, welcome to the month of September <laughs> by Earth, Wind, and Fire. And this is a this is a weird month for our, the Catholic Reading Challenge. It's weird. You mean the categories? Yeah. Weird? This is the strangest category that we've encountered yet. So what that? Let me translate what that means. I obviously picked that category. I didn't know. What it, I didn't remember what it was until like an hour ago. And then she told me. And I'm like, what is that? All right. So a reread. They can't all be home runs. They can't all be home runs. I think this is a good category. Actually, okay, I, I think there's a case to be made for this. But anyway, the category is a reread that you didn't get the first time. <gasps> or it might even be, I might have even worded it this way, a reread you know you didn't get the first time. Ooh. Now, earlier you were having a problem with that description and yeah. finding your book. So I gave you another way to think about it. Mm-hmm. A reread of a book you know you didn't get everything out of the first time. Which I think opens it up a little bit. Because okay. when I think the first description that you didn't get something out of, what was it? The first one? How you did know you, you didn't totally get the first time. That means you probably didn't like it, right? No, that doesn't mean that. It just means like, who knows? It could have been over your like head. Like Wittgenstein? 
When I read Wittgenstein, I didn't get it. Here's the opportunity for all those people who are like, I read this classic in high school and I just know I got I got nothing out of it, but I'm pretty sure it was me because I don't think no, I was that, ready okay, for it. Okay, now, now you're unpacking it. Now I really like this category. It just needed some context because there are a lot of things that you read in high school and you, intellectually you're at a different place. And you're like, okay, I probably should have gotten more out of this. And right. you didn't. Right. Or the opposite could happen. Yes. You could read it now and go, wasn't as good as I thought. Get the overrated chant going. Okay. But, I mean, hopefully we're going for something that you will get more out of. Either because you know you didn't get enough out of it or you know it has more to give you. So mm. maybe we'll, we'll all be picking books that fulfill either of those things. It's interesting because we're talking about music. And there's music like that. There's music that you listen to the first time and it's like poppy and it has a hook and you might like it right away. And then there's other music that develops and sometimes those albums are your favorite albums. They, you got to listen to them more than once and then they they, they kind of open up to you. I think those are the yeah. albums that stay with you all yeah. the time. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So, so well, so this is an interesting, let's sort of set this I don't we we don't really have like a list of no. suggestions. We have, this, we are, this is we will not help you. Well, it's just that this You're could, on your own. This could be any book. I do think like I said classics are come into play here often. Um You know what I thought would be funny though? What? So, when we were, <laughs> when we were dating or we might have been engaged, I don't remember. And I was visiting your family one Christmas down in in Hendersonville, North Carolina. We went to. I, I'm laughing because I cut you off, and this is a funny story. Okay. Continue. And we had friends in town this weekend that said I'm the chatty one, so I just it was all coming back on the podcast. So like I cut her off. I had a flashback on my friend telling me there's a lot of things going on in September, Earth, Wind, and Fire. But I was in I was in Hendersonville, and we were we went to Asheville. I went to the Barnes and Noble in Asheville, oh. and I only had like a couple bucks on me, and I wanted to get a book. Because when I'm with your family, like, and all your siblings are around and stuff, I, there's times I just need to escape. You Only were trying child. to be find a way to be antisocial. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. With the, the chaos, that I just needed to find a corner or a tent, just to re. And so <laughs> they had the book, the book sales, like the table of books are on yeah. sale. What did you buy? Dianetics by L. Ron Hubbard. Which oh, is the, I remember the, this. Just because I was like, not because I was interested in Scientology, but I thought. Well, I mean, I, I know about Tom Cruise and all this. Like, what is You're this? Like, how about? crazy is this? I think I'm going to spend yeah. this Christmas vacation Reading discovering. It. And how I thought, crazy okay, maybe it's going to be intriguing. Like, you know, I, I clearly there's something to this because people are into it. Now, are you advocating this book? No, as... no, no. I'm not advocating. I'm just telling you. I read it, and I was like, "This is whack." Like, I didn't like it at all, and I didn't even find it like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Intriguing and like a perverse, weird. Okay, you, you know didn't, what I'm talking about. Like you just didn't like understand crime drama. You didn't you know, understand you, the appeal. Like true crime drama. You're like, oh, that's so messed up, but it's like it's right. interesting. Right. I didn't like it all, and I'm thinking that would have been funny if, like, we go to pick our books, and I go, well, I read Dianetics <laughs> 15 years ago, and I I didn't get anything out of it. So I'm giving it another yeah. Don't another go. Don't give another go. I think that's good. That's a great example. Don't give another go to a book you, you know is not gonna. You know no. it was bad and the maybe first you, time. You read it the second time. How about if I read it and I'm like Jessica, I was I was wrong. You shouldn't have converted to Catholicism. Man, should we, have been. I know. What was I thinking? Yeah, I got to make some changes. We so don't. That's not yeah, happen. we don't want any of those stories to come out of this podcast. Anyway. Uh, it could be 
it could be a, a book of fiction. It could be nonfiction. Um, but something that you think, a book that you really think not has. Not a cookbook, more, though. Not, not a cookbook. Where you go, I don't like these recipes. <laughs> and then you go back and go, these recipes are amazing. Uh, I just wasn't at the level of cooking. But it's a good analogy. You might not have been the reader that you are now. Or the eater, the diet. Or the eater or the cooker. And you go back and you're like, this is the best cookbook I've ever read. Is cooker the past tense of... Okay, go ahead. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, pick pick a book that you know has something uh, left to give you or something you haven't taken away from, from it yet, which actually... I mean, this could, should, should kind of make it easier. It actually should be most good books. So, when I was reading... At the beginning of the year, um, A Severe Mercy by um, Sheldon, what's his last name? I can't ever remember his last name. I don't know why. I don't either. I want to yeah. say Vonnegut, but I don't Something like think that. But I always right. think Kurt Vonnegut when you say that. I know. And it wasn't written by Kurt Vonnegut. Anyway, I'll remember in a second. A severe, but that would be a good guy to read. A Severe Mercy, but he was friends with C.S. Lewis, and the book talks about how he met him. And, and uh, he was in the book, he was um, remembering how he and Lewis had a conversation one night about how the sign of all real readers is that they reread books. And I think there's something very true to that, um, which is actually a challenge for me. I think sometimes I think, oh, I, you know, I, I don't have time to like to reread this book. Um because I have this whole list of books that I want to get to. But I think sometimes the issue is just that maybe I haven't, you know, come. sometimes you just haven't come across the books that you're going to reread yet. You know, maybe you just have to get better at, at picking the good books because um, it, it seems like a lot of really interesting people, a lot of great readers spend a lot of time revisiting their favorite books. Dorothy Day comes to mind. She uh, She read The Russians. She read... Tolstoy and Dostoevsky a lot. And actually at the end of her life, she reread all those Russian novels again. She mm -hmm. just stayed with them a lot. There's so you, you do see um that even really like intelligent people who get a lot out of books go back to those same books because they just give you something new every time. So I think this is this is a category that ultimately we wanted to have this year because we often, I mean, if you're like me, like what I just said, you often don't give yourself room or permission to reread something. You just have this list of books you'd like to get through that you've never read before. And I think it's important that we make some room to reread really great books and learn again from them or take more things from them or take the things we know we didn't get the first time. Um, and just go deeper. So that's kind of the idea behind this category. No, and as you're talking about it more, I remember I read Orthodoxy by G.K. Chesterton when I was in college. Yeah. I was in my 20s. I wasn't Catholic. And I really didn't get much out of it at all. I think if you had like 100% meter for 100% getting something out of it, yeah. it's probably 8%. Yeah. So that would have been an easy book to read. Like I could I could have reread re Orthodoxy or any of his stuff. Or when I read Lewis as a young man. Absolutely. You, know, you were supposed to read. Yeah. But I've reread a lot of his things. Um, I actually do reread re a lot of books. So when you put that criteria in it, like a book that you can get out of more out of, I'm someone who tends to 
do that more so than another person. I do the same thing with music. There's like a few albums that I listen to a lot. Yeah. There's a few films that I watch over and over and over again. Well, haven't you read uh, The Movie Goer by Walker Percy like 12 times or something? Um, or a lot of times yeah. because you've taught because it. Because I've taught it so many times. I've, so I've read it once a year for the last four or five years, and then okay. I read it a couple times before that. And that is a book. Um, when I first read it, I thought it was okay. I read that book before I even knew who Walker Percy was, before I was even considering Catholicism. We used to have this big book fair at DeMatha, and you could take a novel. You could take the books with you and um, if you were a teacher. And one of my colleagues taught that book, and I really liked his taste in books. And so I read it, and I was like, yeah, it's okay. And then I re-encountered Walker Percy later on when I was contemplating a conversion, and it really captured me. But the last time I just read Movie Goer with this class, and unfortunately, I'm not teaching that class in the spring semester, which is sad because um, mm-hmm. it's my favorite class to teach. But I might just teach it anyways. <laughs> just put it in my class. But that is the best read was like the seventh time I read it. And I'm thinking the book just expands. Percy does that a lot to me. Uh, Percy is a, a guy who his books, they're very different. And if you go into them with a kind of a, a – a uh, standard mindset, you're not going to, you have to give yourself to Percy in a way that I think makes people maybe feel uncomfortable at first. But he's someone who I have reread numerous times. I've read, I've read the, the, the Lord of the Rings two or three times. Um, I've read mere Christianity five or six times. I've read screw tape letters five or six times. I've read um, the great divorce a bunch of times. Yeah. Well, I think there's a, uh, there become a pattern sort of appears with certain authors that are yeah. that you. I mean, it's just clear you're not going to get it all. But it's funny when you rephrase time. it though. When you said a book that you you didn't get a lot out of, it's very different for me to think a book that I can get more out of because that's two different categories for me. Say a book gets really hyped up and I read it and I'm like, I'm just not feeling this. Okay, that's what I think you're when you first presented the category. But okay. when you say you could get it more out of, I'm like, well, I could just read any of my favorite books again. Sure. And sure. Get, and get more out of them. I did it's not that I feel like I missed something. I feel like a real important book is just of course you can get more out of it. Yeah, and I think there there's definitely a humility that comes with this mindset of revisiting good books. That this idea that I have not learned everything and we should never really approach a book as this thing that we're ma- going to master or get everything out of. That's not, that is so not. No. And, and that's d- not, I mean, the book is a living thing and the author, the author's ideas are living things. Uh, and we are not, you know, when we first encounter it, what a crazy amount of pride we'd have to have to say, oh, well, I didn't get everything out of it. It's the book's problem. It's the book's fault, well, not mine. I'm going to call out, like, actually, I'm going to call out the culture that are, that we're speaking into in a way it's good to have goals with your reading. Sure. But we live in an era again of self improvement and everything is a medium towards self improvement. So if we approach our reading that way and like, well, I have to get through these books or I have to read so many books in a quantitative way. That is a a modern, I, I don't agree with that at all. And actually some of the problems I have with, not that like there's a culture of book reading. You have all these podcasts and we're going to read this this week. And we're going to talk about it because I understand what they're trying to do. But sometimes I think you can kind of lose the whole point. 
right. um, in, in this kind of scene or this culture. If there can be a book that has such a profound impact on impact on you that it would it would that revisiting it time and time again is is a is a wonderful beautiful thing and you shouldn't just go to another book because you think you're supposed to read more books. I don't think I, there's like a I don't know I don't know how to say this. There's a um, a wastefulness with reading which is such a um, juxtaposition to this idea of efficiency with culture that I think a lot of people have to to confront. Now I'm on the other side of that spectrum. I, I really am much more non-structured. But if someone is always dedicated to self-improvement and like meeting these goals, and they're missing out on something that's right in front of them, that they that's that's not good. Oh no! And yeah. people can do that with books, and they can do that with life. And you need to check yourself before you wreck yourself, as Ice Cube said. <laughs> and you need to chill. Um, and some of y'all need to chill. <laughs> Seriously. And it, and it comes with like book reading, like spiritual self-improvement. Like it's all about falling in love. Yeah. It's not about accomplishing something. It's about falling in love. And we, we want to fall in love. And we want to fall in love with, with beautiful things. And you don't fall in love with beautiful things by having a checklist and running through them. No, you fall in love. Love is, love is, is, is not uh, efficient. It's messy and it takes its time and it moves at its own pace. Well, imagine it like you had a friendship, you know, we went out to dinner with someone um, with a new friend and you came back, you said, Oh, that was amazing. We just talked about so many things. We had, so much in common. I got so much out of that dinner and someone said, oh, so will you, you know, you go out to dinner again? Oh, no, we've already done that. Yeah. And there's some other friends that I yeah, want to see I'm what they go. can give me. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I need to, I need to glean from other people. I've gotten everything. Me. Like that dinner did it. That was, that was fine. I won't be talking to it's that funny. person again. You're telling that story because we had, we had some good friends in town this weekend from New Orleans and I was talking about this idea of like how time is, is relative. And I told the story about the first time that we went out to dinner as a couple and I remember it vividly and we, we, I think we were at the dinner table for three hours and time, it felt like five minutes. Like it was, there was a timelessness to it. Eating dinner for three hours is not efficient, right? There's probably right. other productive things that you could be doing, <laughs> but it's funny to even, no one would, no one would make that comparison when you're, when you're falling in love with the person and on the other side of the dinner table, that's just crazy. And I think there are books that you fall in love with. But anyways. Um, no, it's true. And if you find yourself continually thinking about a book over and over again, you know, you've read it and made an impact on you and it comes back. And there are some books like that for me. That's a little bit of a call. I think, I think that you. I think that book is calling you back. Um, and, you know, pay attention to that because I think that sometimes means that, you know, after a bit of time, it's time to revisit, pay, you know, listen for that. I think that's important. There's there's something there for you and inevitably you'll go back and discover something you completely missed the first time that, you know, you can't believe you didn't get. But after waxing about books that you love for the last 10 minutes, what we just did, I want to make it clear that's not what I did. I did not do that with this category. I went with the first <laughs> criteria. And I read a book that was hyped and really recommended to me. Well, you picked a book. We haven't read them yet. 
No, I tried to read it. I'm talking about the first time. Remember, the category is you read it and you didn't get something out oh, of it. Oh, I got what you're saying. You, the first time yeah. you read it. Yeah. Oh. Not, not that I've already done oh, it. Oh, gotcha. That I was like, all right, this is okay. But it, it did not It did not um, nail me the way that I, that I thought. Or sometimes what happens so, with books is you're like, well, this could have been a pamphlet. Like, I oh, got yeah. the gist of it yeah. and I'm ready to just – a lot of books are like that. So what book are you rereading? So the book that I am rereading – is called The Religious Sense. It's actually nonfiction. Um, it's by Luigi Giassani. And if you are a super Catholic nerd, you might know who that is. He was a priest in Italy. I think he taught high school in around Milan. And he his whole thing was, how do you present Christ to like the modern man? Can the modern man... Uh-huh. And, and he was very influential... Uh, out of his ministry, there is a a organization within the Catholic Church called Communion and Liberation. And there's a few people that I taught with that I thought highly of. Actually, a lot of people that I think highly of think highly of Giassani. And I want to say this. I think Giassani's ideas are profound. And I actually, I, I am a kind of a Giassani-esque guy. To me, uh, Balthazar has a lot of the similar they they seem to have some commonalities. Okay. And w- which is idea of beauty precedes truth, right? If you w- – what a lot of people do kind of in the Catholic culture wars today, they really get it wrong. They go in with the dogma, like guns a-blazing, and um, they don't they, – they go right to truth. And instead of showing the beauty of a life with Christ, and they end up doing more harms than, than, than good. And – I get the sense that that was Giassani's kind of big deal. Like, how, how does the modern man encounter Christ? So, like, Barron, I think, is a guy who would probably appreciate the work of Giassani on people who are doing it, which is my whole, which is my whole thing. Um, I think that Giassani was Italian, mm-hmm. and the book was obviously written in Italian, I guess. I don't know if he wrote it also in English. But it sounds like a really excited – the first time I try to read it, it's like a really excited Italian guy. Like it went from crescendo to crescendo to crescendo. Okay. And when sometimes books do that, um, it's you don't know how to really differentiate content, which is hard for me for some reason. And then there's people who are just awesome at it, like Ratzinger, and you go, you know exactly like what the important takeaway is. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to give myself to it, and I'm going to know now kind of more getting into it, how to read him and what to expect. Okay. It's actually a trilogy that's very influential, The Religious Sense, the Risk of Education, and the, the third book is called um, bo- bo- actually no the, the the religious sense at the origin of the Christian claim and why the church those are the uh, the three in the Percoso trilogy. Um, so I'm reading the religious sense and I'm excited about it. Luigi Giassani, um, and it's actually it's not the easiest book to find. I don't even know if it's still in print. Let me see here. I'm on Amazon right now. And no, you can see it. it's actually you can get it in e-textbook form. The paperback's nineteen ninety six, um, and the hardcover is one hundred and one dollars. So I don't think it's in print anymore. Oh wow! So you got it. You got it's like a. It's kind of like an underground hipster Catholic thing. So let me just read the summary and then I'll, I'll shut up. <laughs> Giassani challenges us to penetrate the deepest levels of experience to discover our essential selves breaking through the layers of opinions and judgments that obscured our true needs, asserting that all the tools necessary for self-discovery are inherent within us. He focuses primarily on reason, 
not as narrowly defined by modern philosophers, but as an openness to existence, a capacity to comprehend and affirm realities in all of its dimensions. Part of the so-called new religious revival, the religious sense avoids any sentimental or rational reduction as religious experience. It is forthright and refreshing call to reassess our lives. That language is really funny because that mm. language is very non-specifically Christian. And I think that's intentional. Um, and I think Giassani is like, how do we find these common places okay. where where all people are? Yeah. yeah. And use that, which is, which is my wheelhouse. And how do we use that to, to um, introduce life and ultimately beauty? precedes truth, right? Yeah. When I saw you the first time, I remember exactly when I saw you the first time we were in the computer lab, I thought, oh my gosh, who is this beautiful person? Oh. I didn't go, uh, what's her social security? What's her birthday? <laughs> what are her political views? Right, blah, blah, those were not the things yeah, like, that attracted yeah, you today. No, no, I just was, I was attracted to the beauty and then I got to know you, right? But beauty preceded truth. And I think that's what this book's about. If it, if you're a Giassani fan, you're like, Mike, no, that you're, you're, you're getting mixed up, then you can. You well, can text probably me or in beauty like in all its forms, right? Um, there are many ways. I would assume that the religious sense sees beauty through all the senses. Well, right? no, I think he means everyone has a religious sense. Yes, that's what oh, he's yeah, talking yeah, about. Yeah. Like the religious sense is a universal to the human person, and I do agree. Humans are primarily religious creatures, right? And and you know this with with, right. with cultural liturgies, right. and this is what you've talked about, and actually you've written about a lot. This is kind of the other side of that yeah. with just more of an anthropological, philosophical than a rhetorical yeah, yeah. Um, analysis of that. So that, that's that's my two cents. That sounds great. So I'm going to reread Till We Have Faces, A Myth Retold, which is actually Lewis's last novel and most people think his best one. Um, I will read you it. There's a little, well, I'll read you this little, it, it's a repackage, it's, it's like a retelling of the myth of Cupid and Psyche. Um, yeah, so it's told from like a different perspective. I think the perspective of the sister uh, is sort of, is how he retail, retells the myth. And yeah, told from the viewpoint, so this is the write-up of it, told from the viewpoint of Psyche's sister, Orwell. Now I haven't. I haven't read the myth, which is one of my problems here. I have, but it's been a long time. Yeah. So, Till We Have Faces is a brilliant examination of envy, betrayal, loss, blame, grief, guilt, and conversion. In this, his final and most mature and masterful novel, Lewis reminds us of our own fallibility and the role of a higher power in our lives. Now, I read this in high school. Uh-oh. I was, I will tell you right now, 100%, I... I knew when I read it, I wasn't getting everything out of it. Um, and I'll tell you right now that I know why I didn't get everything out of it. I just, I, I didn't, I didn't know enough then to really get everything that I needed to out of this novel. So I'm very, very, I've actually been wanting to reread this book for a while. So I'm kind of excited to reread it, but I think I'm going to familiarize myself um, make up for the gap of not understanding this, uh, knowing this myth any to begin with. So maybe I'll, familiarize myself with the myth of Cupid and Psyche to begin with before I dive into this retelling. So I'm kind of excited. You know, it's one of those, I don't know, for me, I thought of this book instantly um, for this category because I I knew that I wanted to revisit this book. So I think this is exciting for me because I want to go back to a novel I know I'm, I totally missed 
good stuff in. That's cool. And I think it's cool that you're reading uh, a book that's fiction, but incredibly like didactic and allegorical. And I'm reading a book that's nonfiction, that's essay driven. That's obviously it's didactic and, and pedagogical. When I say didactic, I, I didn't mean to say that in a in a um, disparaging way. I meant to say pedagogical. So yeah, I, yeah, like not didactic. Yeah. I got in a debate with someone this week, and not not a debate, but we were comparing Lewis and Tolkien, and I said that Lewis is uh, didactic is is obviously negative. That's I, a I wasn't, pejorative sense. Yeah, yeah, but he's he he lays it on pretty heavy. Like his his educational stuff is pretty explicit. Yeah, um, compared to Tolkien, where it's like you just catch kind of the the vibe of what he's writing. So I'm not saying Lewis is didactic. He's one of my favorite writers. I'm just, maybe I'm just tired. It's 951. <laughs> um, cool. So I'm excited. We're excited to hear what you're reading. Yes. Uh, use the hashtag, share it on social media, and um, we will be back to talk about our books in the next podcast. All right. Take care.